At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Well met, fellow adventurers. Once more, once more, we are playing as Sir Quokington. And just recently we've been tasked to reclaim Castle Bearwood, which is in Fogbore Forest, which we've just gone to. But something has turned up. With a suddenly, the sudden sound of hoofbeats to the south reaches your ears, and almost immediately, and quite inexplicably, you found yourself overcome with a gnawing sense of dread. Although the approaching horse and its presumed rider are still obscured somewhere within the mist, you draw yourself into a guarded stance, a guarded posture. Straining your eyes, you peer into the surrounding fog, eager to catch a first glimpse of who or what has chosen to ride so close to the edge of the cursed wood. Hmm. Someone here to... Stop me reclaiming Castle Bearwood, perhaps? Moments later, a lone rider, perched atop the bridled mare, bursts from the wall of mist to the south, moving at a steady clip towards you. The young man, dressed in a sleeveless green tunic, raises his hand in a gesture of goodwill. Well, well... Will, as his steed draws to within a few yards of you. Sir, Crokington? he asks, leaning, leaning forward and staring staring down at you with a pair of fierce blue eyes. The poor day and my weckoning of were not able to identify our age's greatest adventurer at a glance. I am Wolfblir Srthwilmo Ashbeer, and I beg just a few moments of your time. Ooh, Ashbeer. That's where the That's where the grey mage lives. So this is going to be very important. Probably to do with infighting in the grey circle and treachery. Presumably linked to Korakatel, the sorceress with all those Otoruks. Hoodbeard dismounts and strides up to you, his right hand extended, palm outward, in unspoken anticipation of meeting you in a shoulder cross. When you comply with this gesture, you know, I jump on my shoulder, he does mine, it's... We, we, I'm so famous, everyone's figured out how to do it by now. You comply with the gesture, and affirm for him that, that you are who he is seeking. A look of A look of relief passes over him for his bright, youthful face, and he smiles, unable to resist. You ask him if he has travelled all the way from Aspir to find you, and are taken aback when he promptly nods in response. Not on the back of that fine beast, he says, reaching back and stroking the nose of his mare. There are other, swifter means of travel available to me. 
and I assure you I make good use of them. For time itself is against me. I thank the old father I was able to reach you. This, of course, was some hope towards that end. Wolfdeer produces a small stone cube, slightly smaller than your fist, and waves, it, waves his hand over it. The six sides of the cube suddenly transform from an opaque grey stone to glistening black. An identical image takes form on each face of the cube. He holds the eyes out for you to examine, and you're shocked as you set your eyes upon the still, utterly lifeless image of yourself as you passed by the town of Ashlea less than an hour ago. Handy for just this sort of thing, he says, making an obvious reference to the endeavour of tracking you down. But you can be, but they can be unpredictable. And they do have a mind of their own at times, or so it seems. Now, if you would allow me, there's something I must tell you. And I have no doubt you'll want to hear it. Wubdeer pauses and slips the stone cube back into a pouch at his side before continuing. He says something that makes your blood run cold. I have every reason to believe the Brotherhood of the Grey Circle is hunting you. What, all of it? Oh dear. It can't be all of it. I've been hired by them several times. Still reeling from Woodbeer's shocking statement, your mind suddenly returns to the events surrounding your purging of the Oterok from Ashley, the face of Timonier, the young master mage, at those requests you embarked upon the mission, and by whose admission you first learned of Coratel and our Oterok, takes form from a mister jumble of thoughts. You immediately and clearly recall your subsequent encounter with, Tim- with Timonier. While making your way along Ashlar's main thoroughfare, you consciously sat sight of a figure lurking at the side of the street, his face turned in your direction. You instinctively glance over the figure, curious as to who it is that appears to be watching you. Only a split second before your eyes have fallen on the figure, however, he turns and quickly slips away down an adjoining lane but not before you've caught a brief glimpse of his face. A glimpse that sends a chill straight through you. You're but certain that the face of the man, man who was watching you pass along the thoroughfare, was none other than that of Timonier, the young master major whose behest you first ventured into, into Ashlar. You rush into the arrow lane along which the figure swiftly departed, but there was no longer any sign of him, puzzled, and unnerved by the encounter. It remains foremost on your mind as you turn and once again set off on your way. I wouldn't expect you to take only the word of a stranger, says Wubdeer, producing a third piece of worn paper, which he hands to you. I wish my own skin to lay my fingers on that. It's part of a larger series of notes, though I regret was only able to purloin this one. I believe it is enough to make the matter plain to you. You you slowly unfurl the paper. Allow your eyes to scan the neat, well-stroked script that fills the wrinkled page. Her frequent, more penitive excursions to the forest are cause for alarm. 
by her very nature. She will seek to undo the work that's already been done. And at, and at so great a cost, Coratel and her wooden army seem incapable of bringing about a demise, a task I would expect someone in whom I invest so much faith to complete with relative ease. I think before long, however, difficulties will compound. All near Bailwood yet lives. And my agents tell me the young girl believes to have perished of a swamp fever is now the likely heir to the ancestral stewardship. The flaming beacons of Castle Baywood and a restored steward will be a dagger through the heart of our best laid plans. Olenir will seek the hope of Sir Crokington, for there is no one else so readily capable of returning returning a Bailwood to the long-abandoned seat of power. A man well able to effect the demise of those who stand to thwart our efforts awaits, waits in Twithic. Okay, who, who, who is that? Who is that? Who is presumably an assassin to, you know, get me? Who could it be? Who could it be? Hmm. You fold over the chilling note and about to hand it back to Woodabeer where the young man tells you to keep it. Well, here's the failed note. This note was given to you by Woodabeer Southrum, a young mage on who you met on the outskirts of Fogwall Forest. The note seems to detail a plot against you in, a, in response to your exploration of the cursed wood and your anticipated role in hoping the Bearwood family resume their stewardship of the forest. The neat, well-stroked script that fills the winkle page we just followed. And we've just read that, so I'm not going to read it again. Rubier tells you that he is a member of the Grey Circle, and that, while the treachery originates within the worlds, he refuses to let its shadow, let it cast its shadow over the west of the Brotherhood to which he has dedicated his young life. Yeah, okay. It seems to be just some, some of the circle, maybe quite large chunks of the circle. I mean, Coratel is somehow involved. She must have had some allies. And whoever sent the note. I know you're also of the order, Sir Crokington, he says. You must remember, though, that all that occurs in Ashbear is a world away from the good work the Circle does throughout the realms. There are shadows lurking within the walls of Arwenain. But I have may- made it my mission to root them out. What is Arwenain? Oh, that's the tower where the Grey Mage lives, along with an inordinate amount of treasures. But I've made it my mission to root them out. There are others who believe as I do, so I'm not alone in my suspicions. For I dare say such evidence as I've just presented to you raises matters to sinister certainty. Still reeling from the evidence that seems to suggest 
the most powerful and influential organisation in the North Broadlands has designs on your life. You ask Woodabeer if he knows who wrote it and who, who the man well able to affect your demise might be. It will set your mind somewhat at ease to know that this had its origins far beneath the station of the Grey Maze, he says, and this suspecting that was the thrust of the first part of the inquiry. A man you've already met, Timine, is somehow tied in with this, as is his mentor. A man I've learned to distrust outright. A man by the name of Glenoras. Glenoras of Seer. It is from Glenoras' own study I pilfered the note. Oh, he's not good to like that. And now, some while ago, worlds away, at the edge of the plain of screams, in a long forgotten and likely never known, Roam within the vast, shadowy depths of the Neverness, perched on an outcropping of black rock, sits the fortress of a mighty, bone-crowned lord. Such promise, and yet so meddlesome. Perhaps I have not been quite the fathering figure I intended. Do... Do you see it another way, Glenoras? The towering, robed figure, his muscle-laden bulk framed by a tall, arched window in front of which he stands, leans towards a tall, frail silhouette on his left and sighs. The slight man nods and then, as if momentarily forgetting an unspoken protocol, quickly shakes his head. You are, you are wise and patient, my lord, he says, unable to conceal the fear that sends him stumbling over nearly every word that passes from within his lips. A bent, middle-aged man pauses for a moment and then continues us. Some of us, humans, I mean, are, tend to be rather forgetful of our pledged allegiances. A small reminder might be in order. The massive, woed figure turns back to the arch window and glazes out across the cracked, fire-ravaged plain that extends to the horizon in nearly every direction. She must be reminded of her loyalty, he says, his voice passing through the empty chamber like the rumble of distant thunder. Okay, okay, I'm going to do the voice properly now. Soon. Soon, Galoras, we shall go to work. The illustrious Sir Croakington will come to know the pleasure of serving me, or she will suffer the grave misfortune bound to disobedience. Even the great Sir Croakington has no hope of defying your will, great one, says the frail man, bowing his head as he purposely averts his eyes from the towering figure that has once again turned his face to him. What, what of the sorceress in the wood? Surely her exile in, in that forbidden place provides you with a means to, at last. Enough! No more. Enough! No more words about that place, was the massive figure, 
his voice withering the man already cringing before him. The curse on that forest bears great potency, and that witch, and the witch that sulks, there is more power than you, than you have ever known. It's more powerful than you have ever known her. She will be dealt with at the time of my choosing, and not a moment before. Gnora straightens himself up, and with his eyes still cast at the floor, addresses the towering, shadowy figure before him, with as firm a tone as he can presently muster. I must return to Ashbear, he says, pausing as if to gorge the reaction his announcement will induce. When there is none, it continues. My trips here will have to become less frequent, my lord, as there are several who have taken an interest of late in my movements. You will be called upon when you are needed, sounds the figure's grumbling reply. The problems you face in the halls of Elaine are your own. Your rewards will be great, good Lord so do not expect to curry favour with tales of hardship. You will find that mine is a most unsympathetic ear. Gnorius bows respectfully and steps back. A shimmering silver portal opens at his heels, and the master page turns and disappears into it. The portal closes, leaving the massive figure alone at the window. Staring across the bleak, ravaged landscape, a desolate plain crafted by the violence of his own hands. You will play your part, Glorus, and the great Sir Crokington will acquiesce to hers, he mutters, leaning heavily with both of his broad hands on the stone still. Then, when you are of no further use, you will both assume your next roles, perhaps as assistant to the once mighty Prince Yagor, a stable hand against which all other horse tenders should be proud to be measured. And now, back to the present. Okay, Prince Yagor, this must be Woundskin. Also, there's a law book entry for Glenorus. Let's read that now. Glenorus of Ashbear. One of the... Wait, he was Glenorus of Seer a little while ago. Um, I guess he's of multiple places. One of the most distinguished members of the Grey Circle's higher council and an advisor to the Grey Mage. The master spellcaster, Glenorus, is a man versed in nearly every magical discipline. His specialty, however, lies in the magical art of gating, as we have just seen. It is rumoured that Glorus may have learned the secrets of Cord Cipher, and he has mastered the art of unlocking and travelling through shadow paths. Alright, alright then, he's... He's probably... He's a wangan. You know. He's dealing with shadow paths. He's... He's... he's Dealing with shadow paths, he's allied with wound skin, he's trying to kill me. The one gun all round. 
You ask Willoughby both Timone and his elder within the grey circle, Glorus, are, as you now sus- suspect, in league with Coratel. He nods in reply and tells you that he believes it was Timone's hope that you would perish in Ashlar. He immediately called to mind your somewhat strange encounter with Timone upon emerging victorious from your battle with the Otorok that occupied Ashlar. You've only just sta- started across the misty plain when you suddenly spot five figures emerging from a rough bank of fog to the south. You're surprised to see Timonir and four of the armoured men from his tracking party moving in your direction. Upon catching sight of you, the young master mage throws up his hand and calls out, the shrill edge on his, on his voice betraying what you suspect is a mix of genuine surprise and elation. You stride up and beat the accomplished spellcaster in the shoulder cross. When you announce the success of your mission, while simultaneously pressing the vapor-filled vial into his hand, his eyes widen and four men at his side smile. We fear the worst, he says, his words momentarily puzzling you. The encampment was attacked only a short time ago by a handful of Otorok. I'm afraid we assumed the unthinkable have happened, and yet another had been lost venturing into the taken town. I can plainly see now that he must learn to have just a bit more faith in the heroes who so obviously earned the entirety of their reputations. Your reputation has not made you a beloved figure in all sets of eyes, I'm afraid, he says Woodbeer, unfortunately. The eyes that seem to have settled on you belong to very dangerous people. These men and women, Coratel being at least one of the women, who operate with impunity beneath veils secrecy and allying with anyone or anything that will serve to further their wicked designs. Wubir tells you that he has long suspected glorious of being in league with a powerful entity not of this world. He rose too swiftly through the circle, he says. The power he reads wields within the guild, both magically and politically, is staggering. Yet I have sensed that his deeds, and likely his thoughts, are not entirely derived from his own free will. Someone or something else, has thrust a malicious, guiding hand into his affairs. On that point, I would stake my own life. With your mind still wheeling, and your thoughts clouded with all that Woonbeer has related to you, you ask the young mage why he's taken the great whisk to travel such a great distance to serve you with a stark, timely warning. I long feared that my own suspicions were unfounded, he says, when it became plain to me that they were more than but a p- plain to me that they were but a prelude to a far more sinister truth. I began to fear that I was alone in a fight I couldn't hope to wage. When I learned that you had become a target, I realized at last that I at least had a that I had at least a single ally. Outside Aspir, 
even if I could not yet know of the breadth of the peril. The peril to be sent against you, even if you could not yet know of the breadth of the peril to be sent against you. Woodbeer says that when he learned through his investigations that there was a possibility of a Bailwood returning to the ancestral fortress in Fogborough, he became convinced he was acted at once. For reasons yet unknown to me, the forest has become their focus. There is something in the wood they seek. It's plain to me now that Coratel's attempted overthrow of our order was not exactly as it was portrayed. Her exile into Fogbor, I fear, is part of a large design which I have yet to fully comprehend. You must, you may trust Sir Crokington. I will return to Sir Aspire and continue to delve into this matter as readily as I can. You feel that Woodpeer has told you the complete truth. Despite his bold words, you can sense the young maid is frightened. You also sense that he is relieved beyond measure to have at last found someone in whom he can confide what he has learned about the affair. Suddenly, Recalling the stoppered, vapour-filled vial given to you by Timony, you produce the item and show it to Woodbeer. He studies it for several moments, but ultimately shrugs his shoulders. I would not follow the instructions you were given regarding its use, he says. I confess that I do not worry what it is, or what purpose it might serve. But my advice is to keep it sealed. I guess I will. You speak with Woodbeer for quite some time, and at last he tells you that he must now embark on his return journey to Aspir before his absence is noted. Not far from here lies the means by which I will arrive at Aspir before dawn tomorrow, he says. I've already been gone longer than his wise, but that could not be helped. You thank the ma- young maid for all he's imparted to you, and wish him luck on his return journey. He meets you in the shoulder cross, and tells you to take care when you venture into the woods. You must succeed, Sir Crokington, he says as he remounts his horse. I have every confidence that you will clear the path by which the whiteful steward will return to the forest. Your success will ensure you have a powerful ally in a fight against the enemy, that has revealed itself by targeting you. You must succeed. You simply must. As Wardbeer rides off to the south, skirting the edge of the fog-shrouded forest, you turn and stare at the line of trees directly to the west. For quite some time you sit in silence, almost motionless, at the edge of the cursed wood, carefully pondering all that has transpired, since your fateful meeting with near Bailwood in Blade Square, the mission you accepted in the shadowy interior of the coach has already adopted a more profound sense of urgency in the short while that has passed since you parted ways with the elder Bailwood. Uh, again, your thoughts and your gaze turn to the dark line of trees to the west. The border that has long served to contain the creeping curse of Fogbor. Although I don't think it's enough anymore, 
The gust of wind passes down out of the nearby hills, bearing on its breath a surging tide of fog. As the wall of mist rolls past, spilling across the broken brown further north, and you prepare to enter the wood and make your way to Castle Bearwood, eager to explore, to explore and secure the ancestral home of the forest stewards. To continue with this adventure, explore Frogball Forest and choose a fog-shrouded castle from your list of previously discovered locations. Alright, and clicking on that right now. Standing atop a small mound that rises out of the thick fog swirling across the forest floor, you stare to your west, your eyes fixed on the dark shape of a towering castle. Eerily situated against the ghostly backdrop of stirring mist, you now realise you gaze upon Castle Bailwood, the ancestral fortress of the Bailwood family, home to a long line of powerful mages who once served as the stewards of Fogborough, battling the creeping curse of the rotting wood. With your eyes fixed on the silhouetted castle, the enormity of your impending task lands squarely on your shoulders, like a crushing weight. To complete your mission, you know that you'll need to somehow enter, its, enter the fortress and set aflame its four beacons. Attempt to approach the castle. Well, I could continue exploration of the woods, but considering all that's been set against me, it probably, probably makes sense to just... Get, get this done as soon as possible before they can find more things to throw at me. Attempt to approach the castle. You carefully wind your way through tangled patches of bramble and find that this time, now in possession of the wing given to Orlea Bearwood and having it equipped as well, you are able to approach the castle, the mighty towering fortress, draped in the long shadows of rotting wood that surround it surrounds it, looms before you, rising out of the sea of mist that blankets the damp earth. A narrow path leads you out of the bracken that borders the castle, and delivers you to the edge of a wide, fawn-filled ravine that serves as a moat to the ancient abode of the Bearwood line. The castle's drawbridge lies open, its dark timbers spanning a treacherous divide. Suddenly, your eyes fall upon Nuff, what you at first, what you at first mistake for debris covering much of the drawbridge. A closer examination reveals the charred pieces of wood and odd bits of iron scattered across the surface of the bridge, with the remains of at least thirty Otuak. Okay. At the foot of the open drawbridge, on the opposite side of the moat. The heavy iron gates of Castle Baywood stand open. Beyond the gates, you can just barely make out the fog-filled outer bailey. So, from all those Otuak, we know that Coratel or someone else who, who has Otuak, presumably Coratel, wants to stop the Bearwoods, presumably by just smashing the castle. Just smash it down, tear it down, destroy it utterly. Then you don't really have to worry about the Bearwoods anymore. Well, 
Well, I mean, like, presumably they could eventually build a new castle, but that will take years. And by then, they'd Cortel and anyone else would presumably done whatever their evil scheme is. And also because they've been they've been blown up, that Umdwell's various wards are in effect and they are very powerful and that's why we should definitely have that Bailwood seal equipped. Otherwise we're gonna have a very bad time indeed. Cross the drawbridge anyway. You step you step onto the lower drawbridge and cautiously make your way across its sturdy but time-worn planks. As you pass through the charred, fragmented remains of the Oterok, you carefully search for any sign that might reveal how the millions of Koratel met their gruesome fate. You're midway across the span when a deafening roar shatters the silence. In an instant, the entire drawbridge is engulfed in a waging inferno. Jagged bolts of golden energy arc wildly through the air, tearing through the towering crimson flames that now surround you. Despite the intense heat of the blaze that surrounds you, and the tines of lightning that pass within inches of your flesh, you remain unaffected, seemingly impervious to the deadly snare that previously destroyed the invading band of band of invading Oterok. The case is drawn to your hand. Where the wing given to you by Lornir, Baywood Seal, glows brightly. You realise the wing saved you from certain death. Yep, that's and Yep, Lornir was definitely onto something where he says, have this wing equipped. Wasting no time, you rush across the bridge and arrive at the Iron Gates. Standing before the open Iron Gates, you turn around and are surprised to find that the waging blaze that engulfed the drawbridge only moments ago is no more. Even more startling is the observable fact that the bridge's timbers are not blackened in the slightest. Despite the intense heat of the inferno that envelops them well, there's all sorts of magic in this castle. You glaze down at the Baywood steel seal still fitted to your finger, and think it would probably be a good idea to continue wearing the wing. Turning away from the drawbridge, you step warily through the open iron gates and into the castle's high-walled outer bailey. No sooner have you passed into the foggy courtyard, the gates behind you close with a resounding clank. You spin around just in time to see the set of towering iron-banded doors close with a thud behind the gate, shutting off your view of the drawbridge and the forest outside. Despite an unnerving welcome, to the, to the ancestral Bowood abode. You remain determined to see your mission through to success. With your every sense alert for the first sign of danger, you cautiously make your way across the foggy courtyard towards a set of double doors that serve as a gateway into the heart of the long-abandoned fortress.
Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Castle Baywood is seemingly a place untouched by the ravages of time. As you pass through the broad corridors and cavernous galleries of the lavish palace... You see no evidence that anything within the fortress has suffered the effects of decay that would be expected of a structure abandoned nearly two centuries ago. Grand tapestries and magnificent statues. The craftsmanship harkening back to an age long since departed. Line the stone tile dustless passages along which you make your wary trek. I'm guessing that Every time the bell would save someone, that they give them something really nice, and it ends up stored here. Yeah, that's that's pro- that that's probably why they have all these great works of art. You know, like how, how the Duke of Wellington, he's got, he just kept receiving all sorts of. All sorts of incredible works of art can say thanks for defeating Napoleon. Have this have this several hundred piece set of crockery. Here's a portrait. Here's a house. Here's a giant statue. And so on. Oh yeah, and you're Prime Minister now. <laughs> yes. Grand tapestries and magnificent statues. Yeah, oh, read that bit. In various spots, living trees, ancient but thriving, thrust through the openings in the floor, their mighty limbs scraping the lofty ceilings of the passages over which they arc. Hmm, nice. Every so often, you encounter reminders of the grim setting, the sea of creeping fog and gloom, out of which this... Wondrous, wondrous refuse rises, thin mists of fog, bearing the subtle odour of decay that's so prevalent in the rotting forest outside, now and again drift past, serving to shift your focus from the distraction of your unspoiled surroundings to the mission at hand. You know what? Once the bailwoods are restored, I'd like a proper tour around that place. You know, even though they probably don't know all the secrets anymore either, but they definitely know more than anyone else. You move out of the vast gallery of stone and wood sculptures and pass into a wide hall, flanked on either side by ornate arches and elegant standard draped balconies. The far end of the corridor sends a set of tall oaken doors. Above the doors hangs an, unfarnished, hangs an untarnished bronze plaque 
engraved with a fancifully scripted B. Believing the doors were opening onto the grand hall, the heart of the castle, and the chamber from which all or near said you could access the towers, you promptly head for them. You were within twenty yards of the doors when you're suddenly overcome by a deep sense of dread. You freeze in mid-step and heed the urge to look back. There, rolling along the corridor through which you just passed, is a dense wall of fog. You instinctively assume a defensive stance as the fog continues to move in your direction. As the cloud of fog draws within a few yards, it suddenly dissipates becoming little more than a thin veil of mist that slowly swirls away along the stone-tiled floor. Despite the disappearance of the fog, a strange incident reminds you that Castle Bailwood remains a place of unknown peril. Vowing to not let your guard down, you proceed to the end of the passage, push open the doors, and step into the Grand Hall. The Grand Hall of Castle Bearwood is a room that might easily serve to put the audience chambers of many a sovereign to shame. The arched stone ceiling of the cavernous space passes over a room surrounded by lifeless statues of the dozens of stewards of the Bearwood line. The men and women who have reigned over here over here the many centuries since the fortress was built. All of the statues, save one, are intact. The lone apparition, seated in the north-east corner of the chamber, lies in a scattered heap. A long oaken table dominates the centre of the room. The table is still set with the accoutrements that accept that suggests a great feast and a large number of guests, a feast you are left to assume never took place. At the northern end of the chamber, fashioned out, fashioned out of a portion of the trunk of an ancient living oak, the wisest out of an opening in the floor, is an ornate, phone-like chair. Four passages leave out of the grand hall. From each of the corners, heading northwest, northeast, southwest, and southeast, respectfully, a thin veil of mist swirls and eddies about across the floor. The floor of the hall. Examine the oaken oaken seat. You're standing before the massive chair carved out of the enormous trunk of an ancient oak. The tree from which this grand throne has been crafted towers above the hall, its leaf-bearing limbs stretching across the arched ceiling. A series of arcane symbols adorns the arms of the green chair, leave you with little doubt the seat once bore powerful enchantments. It's from this throne-like seat that the line of stewards, line of the Beowards, the stewards of Frogbois, oversaw the affairs of their ancestral domain. Well, well, let's sit down, just to see what happens. Sit in the chair. You slowly lower yourself onto the grand chair. After several moments, you rise and step back from the chair. Well, actually, I hop up into the chair because I'm, I'm, my head is lower than the 
chair because toad. Well, it's a croakings, it's a toad. I'm, I'm, I'm probably human as far as you know. After several moments, you rise and step back from the chair. Sit in it again. You know what? Less sitting, more fighting. Examine the shattered statue. The statue's thick base. The only portion that remains intact is engraved with the name Umdwell. You immediately recall Outlaw Nero's account of Umdwell Baywood as the last of the stewards, a cowardly mage that fled the castle nearly two centuries ago. You've no, as you've noted elsewhere in the castle, no dust covers the base of the statue's statue or its jagged fragments. I presume the statue was shattered. Shattered, but just to say, no, you do not deserve to stand amongst these other, amongst these other true stewards. And then, then I mean, might have been by Umdraw himself. Anyhow, let's uh, have a closer look at this with the power of feathery. Anyhow, yes, I, I, know to, I knew to use that because I've done this a lot of times before. 8 XP to Thievery. Your expert eye spots a small outcoat carved in the base at the, base at the back of the statue. You reach in and retrieve a leather pouch from the alcove. and are surprised to discover it contains four adventurer tokens. You quickly pocket the tokens. Alright, that's four more adventurer tokens. I can only assume that these these were left by Umdwell himself, you know, for you know as a you know as a little bonus to whichever hero can finally reclaim Castle Bellwood, or something like that. That old Tally sneaked in while no one was looking and just left them there. I mean, he has been wandering around Fogbore, so maybe he put them there. Don't know how he would get into Bearwood Castle itself, though, but Tally's has ways and means. He has ways and means. Yep. And, hmm. Anyway, four, four, four adventure tokens. It'll be quite nice. Okay, now, now to start, now to get, now to get onto the actual... You know what I was what I was here for. Climbing these towers and lighting the beacons. Starting I'm just gonna do them from top to bottom. Northwest first. You leave the Grand Hall by the Northwest Passage. Following the broad, empty corridor, you soon arrive at a tall arch, beyond which a set of wide stone steps spirals up into darkness. These stairs will lead you to the castle's northwest tower. Climb the stairs. With your trusty light cutting open, cutting through the gloom, you cautiously make your way up the broad, spiralling steps that climb towards the top of the tower. You ascend to the broad step, set of spiralling steps that wind their way up the tower. Proceeds without incident. Oh, that's nice. By the time you reach the top of the stairs and come into the stand, come to stand before the iron-banded wooden door that guards the tower's topmost chamber, in which you hope to find one of the beacons. Your legs are weary, and you are 
severely winded. You quickly note the door has no latch. Well, something as important as this isn't just going to be something you could just walk in on. As you le- lean up against the wall and attempt to catch your breath, a faint crackling fills the air. Your eyes are immediately drawn to the glo- door. Now and again, thin tines of blue energy dart across the surface of the thick timbers. Much to dismay, it appears the door is protected by magic. Presumably this is another one of, of Umdral's wards. Attempt to open the door by force. You step towards the door, and without warning, two long tines of blue energy leap from its surface and become within inches of your head. Without delay, you prepare to do battle with the magically protected door that bars your entry the tower's topmost chamber. Magically fortified door, I will fight you. The door suddenly discharges a bar, arc of blue energy that sees your flare. Singes your flesh. Does Wakeman accept to do anything? Nope. Demon Surge? Nope, that doesn't do anything. Not for this one. Suddenly struck by a powerful energy attack for four damage. Okay, just gonna... Just gonna smash it aggressively. Do to do, it's nearly done, nearly done. Round 26, it is slain. 73 XP, 128 experience to general. The energy, streaking across the surface of the door, ceases with a loud groan. The door swings slowly inward, revealing a windowed chamber at the very top of the tower. You quickly step into the chamber. Four large open windows look out from the circular chamber at the top of the northwest tower. Thin wisps of of fog float in through the windows and swirl through the place, serving only to add to the eerie gloom that fills the room. Resting atop the stone dais in the exact centre of the chamber is a large engraved iron bowl. You immediately recognise the bowl to be one of the legendary beacons of Castle Baywood, as described to you in detail by Lord Nero Baywood himself. Terrific. Alright, time to use Elementalism, or that item that I was given, but I'm going to use Elementalism first. It's failed. You channel your power of Elementalism, slowly pass your hand over the Iron Bowl, despite a solid start. Your attempted use of Elementalism has failed to light the beacon. A brilliant flash of golden light fills the chamber. You instinctively hold... Throw up your hands, protect your eyes from the fierce glow. Moments later, as the light fades, you lower your hands and are elated to witness a tall, single flame burning brightly in the centre of the iron bowl. The beacon of the northwest tower of Castle Baywood is now lit, um, even though I failed. Hmm, I guess I just tried again. Alright. Four large open windows look out from the circular chamber at the top of the Winorfless Tower. Thin wisps of fog float in through the windows and swirl through the space, swiftly melting away as they pass near the lit beacon that casts its warm glow throughout the room. Resting atop the stone dais in the exact centre of the chamber 
is a large engraved iron bowl. A tall flickering column of flame rises out of the bowl. I can look out the windows. Gazing out of the wide windows that dominate the walls of the chamber, you're able to see the castle's other three towers. The dark, imposing structures jut out of the sea of mist that consumes the lower grounds of the fortress and rise into the murky sky. Alright, back to the main hall. And we do, that's just done quickly, because it's a lot easier to go down to down the stairs. Hmm. A knee-high blanket of fog obscures the floor of the hall. Right, I'm lighting the beacons and there's more fog? That's not supposed to happen. Alright, Northeast Passage. You leave the Grand Hall by the Northeast Passage, following the broad, tapestry-filled corridor. You soon arrive at a tall arch, beyond which a set of wide stone, wide steps spirals upwards into darkness. These stairs will lead you to the castle's northeast tower and then climb away. With your light cutting through the gloom, you cautiously make your way, the broad spiralling steps that climb towards the top of the tower. You ascent, you ascend to the broad set of spiralling steps that wind their way up, to, up, to the, up into the tower, proceeds without incident. By the time you reach the top of the stairs, You've come to stand before the iron-banded wooden door that guards the tower's topmost chamber, in which you hope to find one of the beacons. Your legs are weary, weary and you're hopelessly winded. You quickly note the door has no latch. As you lean up against, against the door, against the wall, and attempt to catch your breath, a faint crackling fills the air. Your eyes are immediately drawn to the door. Now and again, thin tines of blue energy dart across the surface of the thick timbers. Like the door you previously encountered, this one, a prev this one appears to be protected by powerful magic. Open dwell again. Attempt to open the door by force. You step towards the door, and without warning, two long tines of blue energy leap from its surface and become within inches of your head. Without delay, you prepare to do battle with the magically protected door that bars your entry into the tower's topmost chamber. Alright, begin combat with, a ma with another magically fortified door. The door suddenly discharges a an arc of blue energy that singes your flesh. Struck by a powerful energy attack for 5 damage. Alright, just regular fighting. Fight, fight. Powerful energy attack for 16, then 5 damage, then 9 damage. Okay, then 12 damage, then some damage. I ticked away before I could even read the number. Ooh, round 34, 35, 36, it is slain. Another 73 experience, and 128 experience to general. The energy streaking across the surface of the door ceases. With a loud groan, the door swings slowly inward, revealing a window chamber at the very top of the tower. You quickly set into chamber, and I also heal myself before I go in there. Four large open windows. Windows look out of the circular chamber at the top of the northeast tower. Thin wisps of fog float in through the windows and swirl through the space serving only to add to the eerie gloom that fills the womb. 
Westing has topped the stone dais in the exact centre of the chamber is a la- large engraved iron bowl. You immediately recognise immediately recognize the bowl to be one of the legendary beacons of Castle Bearwood, as described to you in detail by Lord Nairn at Bearwood, himself in Twithick. Alright, let's try elementalism again. Succeeded. 24 experience to elementalism. That's not that much. You channel your power of elementalism and slowly pass your hand over the iron bowl. A brilliant flash of gold light floods the chamber. You instinctively throw your hands up to protect your eyes from the fierce glow. Moments later, as the light fades, you lower your hands and are elated to witness a tall, single flame burning brightly in the centre of the iron bowl. The beacon of the northeast castle of tower of Castle Bearwood is now lit. I can now gaze out the windows as before, but the light of the burning beacon from the north topmost chamber of the northwest tower stabs through the gloom. Yes, yeah, so you can you can see the beacons you've already lit from the top. Just in case, well. Well, it's just to show your progress, and maybe you forgot which ones you've done. But mainly it's just something you can do. Alright, we turn to the Grand Hall, and I'm there. A waist-high with a fog has begun to swirl through the hall. Okay, this is getting anonymous. And of course, waist-high means it's going well over Sir Croakington's head. Right, southwest passage now. You leave the Grand Hall by the southwest passage, following the broad, barren corridor. You soon arrive at a tall arch, beyond which a set of wide steps spiral upwards into darkness. These steps will lead you into the castle's southwest tower. Climb the stairs. With your fateful light cutting through the gloom, you cautiously make your way up the broad, spiraling steps that climb towards the top of the tower. Okay, on it. Yeah, okay, you can't. This one's the same as the other ones. I'm weary because it's so much climbing and the and the door is magically locked and there's blue tines of energy. Attempt to open the door by force. You step towards the door and without warning, two long tines of blue energy leap from its surface and become within inches of your head. Without delay, you prepare to do battle with the magically protected door that bars your entry to the tower's topmost chamber. Magically fortified door. Let's stab it. Discharges arcs of blue energy that singe your flesh. Powerful energy attack. Seven damage. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And it is slain. 73 XP. 128 experience to general. The energy streaking across the surface of the door ceases. The loud groan, the door swings slowly inward, revealing the window chamber at the top of the tower. You quickly step into the chamber. Four large open windows look out from the circular chamber, the top of the southwest tower. Thin wisps of fog float in through the windows and swirl through the space, serving only to add to the eerie gloom that fills the room. Resting atop a stone dais in the exact centre of the chamber is a large engraved iron bowl. You immediately recognise the bowls to be one of the legendary beacons of Castle Bearwood, and it's described to you in detail by Lornia Bearwood, himself in Twithick. Okay, time to use 
to use that wand. Or whatever it was that I was given. I'm just looking through the list. Alright, wait, no. God, I should have. It's here somewhere. Enchanted torch, that's it. Yes, that's the item I use. Use it. 16 XP to general. With a firm grip on the enchanted torch, you lower it until its charred end touches the rim of the iron bowl. A brilliant flash of golden light floods the chamber. You instinctively throw your hands up to protect your eyes from the fierce glow. Moments later, as the light fades, you lower your hands and are elated to witness a tall, single flame burning brightly in the centre of the iron bowl. The beacon of the southwest tower of Castle Bailwood is now lit. 128 experience to general. And gaze out the windows. I can see the light from the northwest and the the northeast towers from there. Alright. Back to the grand grand hall. Is can I use feathery in the in the on the open seat. No. Can I use feathery in the main chamber? No. Okay, a deep churning sea of fog has begun to help fill the hall. Okay, this this is ominous. The more beacons I light, the more fog we get. It's supposed to be the opposite. Yeah, okay, maybe there's maybe it takes all four of them to really to really work, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like the fog doesn't like me lighting the beacons. Is this is this fog a mist wave? Is it? It's, it's gonna try to kill me, isn't it? Okay, okay. Southeast passage. Bit of healing and climate. You leave the grand hall by the southeast passage, following the broad statue-lined corridor. You soon arrive at a tall arch, beyond which a set of wide steps descend, spiral upwards into darkness. These stairs will lead you to Castle Southeast Tower. Climb the stairs. With your trusted light source cutting through the gloom, you cautiously make way up the board, spiraling steps to climb upwards to the top of the tower. Alright, climbing the tower again. There's a door in the way. Let's just fight the door. Alright, fighting, 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 fighting a door, fighting a door that's blocking my path. It's a very mean door when it's blocking my path. It is slain. 73 XP, 128 experience to general. The, en- the energy shrieking across the surface of the door ceases. With a loud groan, the door swings slowly inward. Revealing a window chamber at the very top of the tower, you quickly step into the chamber. Four large open windows look out from the circular chamber at the top of the southeast tower. Thin whiffs of fog float in through the windows and swirl through the, sp- through the space, serving only to add to the eerie gloom that fills the room. Westing atop a stone dais in the exact centre of the chamber, 
It's a large engraved iron bowl. It's one of the beacons of Beowood. All right, going to use elementalism to light it up. Succeeded. 24 experience to elementalism. You channel your power of elementalism and slowly pass your hand over the iron bowl. A brilliant flash of golden light floods the chamber. You instinctively throw your hands up to protect your eyes from the fierce glow. Moments later, as the light fades, you lower your hands and relate to witness the tall, single flame burning brightly in the centre of the iron bowl. The beacon of the southeast corner of Castle Bearwood is now lit. 128 experience to general. And then... 128 experience, another 128 experience to general. With the last of the four beacons lit, you turn to gaze out. Out of the tower window. He could see if any changes come over the past castle grounds. You've taken only a single step towards the nearest window when you suddenly realise that a dense white fog has begun to flood the chamber. Alright. The fog is angry now. Presumably because these beacons hurt like heck. And presumably that would probably kill it eventually. But it'll kill me first. And presumably just try to smush out those beacons. Because it's, it's done it before. Or maybe or maybe they run out, of, run out if you don't tend to them. Often enough, I mean, I don't know how magical beacons work. I'm not a magical beaconologist, whatever that is. Yes, white fog to flood the chamber. The thick white fog continues to fill the chamber, its dense swirling vapors obscuring even the beacon's magical flame. You, flame, burn brighter with a glowing sense of dread you press yourself back against the wall and assume a guarded stance prepared prepared to face whatever menace might appear out of the unnatural pool of mist you don't have to wait long a gruesome wispy wraith-like being takes form in the in the mist of the swirling fog and slowly but steadily adopts the appearance of a floating staff-wielding rogue human its head concealed by a ghostly hood of vapours. Your pulse quickens as you instantly realise you are face to face with a dreaded mist wave. The very entity Rornia Beowood feared you might encounter in the abandoned halls of his ancestors. Without a sound, and with a bank of fog billowing up around its ghoulish form, the sinister... The sinister waif levels its misty staff at you. You realise not only would it be extremely dangerous to engage such a powerful foe, foe in a space as small as this, but with the lighting of the fourth beacon, you've all but completed your mission. Look, they're not going with this mist wraith around. They're not going to stay lit. No way is it going to. This mist wraith will not stand for these beacons to be lit. And if it can manifest in the very womb of one of the beacons, they're not going to stop it if it decides just to smash the beacons. or Well, maybe they can't be smashed or 
smother them, presumably, which is what it presumably did the first time. Alright, I'm going to fight this mist waif. Deal with it now. Hold your ground and engage the mist waif. You boldly step forward, prepared to engage the hideous mist waif. But with blinding speed, the silent menace dodges, thrusts its staff towards you. Discharging a deadly bolt of lightning. Picking a number. Bonus 39. 20 from agility, 19 from luck. Got to get 75 or more. All the results will be quite shocking. Pick now. 102 success. You spring upwards, narrowly dodging the crackling bolt of energy that surges from the tip of the mist wave staff. The arc of lightning tears into the wall of the chamber, showering you with splintered fragments of stone, wasting no time, and now fully realising the futility of engaging the fearsome undead being such a confined space, you spring to your feet and dash down, dash towards the stairs. You rush across the chamber, chamber, dashing past the mistgrave in a desperate bid to reach the stairs. Just because presumably I'll have more space to fight it in the grand hall. Presumably that's what I'm thinking. You'll just keep running. Who knows? Picking a number. Bonus of 39. Same as before. Pick now. 96 success. You reach the top of the stairs and leap down the first several steps, narrowly dodging a deadly discharge of lightning from the tip of the mistwave staff. The crackling bolt of energy tears into the t- into the tower wall several feet above your head, showing you with splinters of stone as you continue your rapid descent. The fl- a flowing river of fog fills the spiral stairwell, making your wa- rapid descent all the more treacherous. Alas, however, after several spills, you reach the bottom of the steps. At that moment, an ominous sound rises into the air, momentarily drowning out the din of your ragged breath. It's the sound of cracking stone. Suddenly, a violent tremor runs through through the floor beneath you, nearly shaking you off your feet. You stare down at the stone-tiled floor, and your eyes widen in horror. Thin tines of blue energy streak across the tiles under your feet, causing the stones to warp and buckle. The floor is giving way! With a final shudder and a loud groan, the floor beneath your feet collapses, pitching you down into darkness. Only a split second later, you land with jarring force. Flat on your back, striking your head on something hard, and and swiftly lapsing into unconsciousness. Now, we've reached nearly an hour and ten minutes, so I'm just going to end this on a cliffhanger. Alright, where have we fallen to? How will we fight the mist wave? Is this the, the... thing that's supposed that the note referred to don't think so anyhow next time we'll find out how we get out of this sticky sit well not sticky misty situation but until then farewell fellow adventurers everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.